Hebrews 11.30 says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Would you pray with me, please? Father, as we come again to this passage of Scripture, I recognize that the grace of the earlier hour is not sufficient for this hour, and that the filling of the earlier hour is not sufficient for the moment that is at hand. And so, Father, unapologetically, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, that your word would speak plainly and clearly, that you would draw us into yourself, that believing you would be preeminent in our lives, that for those within inside this room and watching and listening by television, I pray, Father, that for the walls that they face and the obstacles in their life that pull them down, that somehow there would be a glimmer of hope today and that those walls would come tumbling down in these next few moments and that they would see the victory that is theirs in Christ Jesus. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Satan, you are not welcome, nor any one of your demons, nor any force of hell is welcomed in the midst of this room because we have pressed on to Jesus Christ and you are not welcomed nor wanted where Jesus is welcomed and wanted. And so we stand and we preach and we listen and we will respond because Jesus has given so much for us. In whose name we pray, amen. <clears throat> Life is uh, full of walls. Some people build fences around their house for security. Some people even build walls around their house for security. Not long ago, my wife and I were, were on a cruise with Truth, and we went by Julio Iglesias' house, and he's got a huge wall around his house. I guess he thinks it's going to keep all the women out. I don't know. Maybe it's to keep all the men out. Who knows? But... Uh, uh, <clears throat> People build walls of all kinds, all shapes and all sizes. It is amazing the walls that we allow to get built up in our lives. Sometimes they're emotional walls. Something happened to us in our past, some event, some circumstance, some person hurt us, and emotionally we begin to build a barrier around our lives because we don't ever want to be hurt like that again. Sometimes we build psychological walls around our lives. Sometimes the walls are spiritual. We fall into the trap of believing something that's not the truth. We don't believe the gospel as it appears in Scripture. We begin to add on to it, and we build a wall around our lives or a concept of God around our lives that is not equal to what the Scripture says that He is. Sometimes the lost build walls around their lives because they don't want to let the Lord Jesus come in and tell them that He loves them and He will forgive them of their sin. And so they build a wall to keep God out of their lives. We have physical walls, we have spiritual walls, we have mental walls and blocks that we put up in our lives. But I am convinced that just as much as God miraculously knocked down the walls of Jericho in Joshua chapter 6, so He wants to knock down some walls in our lives today. And He wants to make a difference in us and He wants to set us free from that thing that stands in our path and keeps us from walking in victory. It is foolish for us to believe that we can overcome 
without fighting, or that we can conquer without conflict. We call the deeper Christian life or the victorious Christian life by a spirit-filled life a number of names. Whatever it is, there is a battle that must be fought and is, in fact, ongoing if we're going to win in this life. Although the war has been won, there is a battle that goes on in spiritual warfare that we never get out of. We never overcome it. There's never a day when we don't face it. George Harris said, most Christians have armed cities to conquer after they enter Canaan. For many, there is one conquest that is particularly difficult, one special Jericho that blocks the path of their spiritual progress. Paul reminded us in 2 Corinthians 10.4 that the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Now, I don't know what kind of fortress or stronghold or, or walled-up area there is in your life today, but all of us, at one time or another, have had a Jericho that we've had to face. It, it is that thing, that situation, that relationship, whatever it might be, it is that area of our lives that keeps pulling us back and keeps us from walking in complete victory. It's the thing that Satan keeps putting his finger on and saying, yeah, well, if you are walking with God, why is this still in your life? It's the thing that gnaws at us and eats at us and works on us. It's, it's that one thing we can't seem to get away from. What is it for you? Well, whatever it is, you're going to have to appropriate victory over that Jericho the same way that the children of Israel did. You can walk out of here today and it can still overwhelm you. In fact, Satan can build it up a little bit bigger. It will laugh at you. It will mock you. It will make fun of the, the fact that you even say you're trying to exercise faith. Or you can walk out of here and begin to see that wall tumble down and begin to see that God has given you a victory. The choice is always yours. God has provided the means of victory. He gives it to you to decide whether you want to take it or not. There are two things that I want you to see this morning. First of all, the inevitable conflict in verses 1 and 2 of Joshua 6. Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and valiant warriors. Now, isn't it interesting that God oftentimes speaks of future events in the past tense. Why does he do that? It is because God wants us to appropriate by faith what he has already given to us. He wants us to understand our inheritance in Christ, all that we have in the promises of God. And he says, listen, it's already a done deal. Jericho was theirs for the taking. I mean, it wasn't a question about whether or not they were going to win and whether or not Jericho was going to be taken. It was theirs for the taking. What was going to be given to them was clear. How it was going to happen was not so clear, but it was theirs. God speaks in past tense sometimes and says, I have given to you, I have done this for you. Why? So that in the future and in the present we act in faith because he's already promised us that in his eyes it's already done. You and I need to realize that most of what we strive for and long for and desire in our lives, God's already given it to us. We just have to appropriate it and get in on it like God wants us to get in on it. Jericho was tightly shut. Well, I tell you, anytime you cross Canaan, 
and you throw down the gauntlet and you say, I want to be significant for God. I want to be used of God. I want God to take my life and to strengthen me and to use me and, and I want to make a difference with my life. You can count on it. God's going to allow Satan to come at you, to test your words, to see if you're just talking or see if you're walking. There's a great book out for men called Point Man. And in that book, the author, Steve Farrar, talks about the point man on the point in Vietnam. The guy on the point always ran the greatest risk of being killed. He was the one that the sniper would see first. He was the one that would be shot at first. He was the one that most likely would not come back from that particular mission. Anytime you and I take the point, anytime you and I take the lead, anytime we step out in faith to do what God wants us to do, you can count on it. Satan has got a sniper out there to shoot you down or to mock you or to make fun of you or to yell at you or he will build a wall like a Jericho so big that you think you can't overcome it. Well, I, I so much appreciate it when people give me illustrations for my sermons and uh, there is one today that I want to... I want to use. Deuteronomy chapter 7 says that the Lord had already given the nation in their hands. These people were not called to hold on. They were called to stand and to conquer. Since the flood, Sherwood has played a major role in, in seeing that people's lives were beginning to be put back together. And I would say in many ways we have taken the point in that. We had a meeting here last Thursday with about 70 pastors from all denominations and all kind of people and, and blacks and whites and rich churches and poor churches and, and churches on every side of town came and gathered here and ate lunch and we talked about our desire to rebuild this city. And several of those men came to me afterwards and came to John Hemkin afterwards and said, you know, we appreciate Sherwood taking the lead on this and wanting to see that our city gets rebuilt. Not just our members, not just our folks, just protecting I, me, and mine, but going out beyond us. We haven't just cleaned up the houses of our members. We found out who lives on the left and who lives on the right and who lives behind them and who lives across the street from them and cleaned them out. We haven't just cleaned out our homes of our membership. We've gone to the south side of town and the east side of town and, and done all of that. And, and we've saved every home we've cleaned out. We've saved that homeowner, based on a contractor's estimate, $2,500. For every home that we rebuild, and by rebuilding, I'm talking about us just getting walls up and a floor in, we save that family $4,000 in labor already through the efforts of Sherwood. Just Sherwood. Now, this is not the other church. Just what we've been able to do, we've been able to save homeowners over a million and a half dollars in labor cost. Now, when you take a point like that and when you decide you don't want to just gather up in our little circle and just mind our own little business and let everybody else just worry about their problems and, and we'll worry about ours, when you do that, you count on it, you're going to get shot at. You're going to get it. You might as well expect it. If you think that the Satan's going to back off and say, well, there goes that crowd from Sherwood. They're out there taking the lead. I guess I'll just have to surrender now. He'll never go down without a fight. There's a letter to the editor in the paper today that accuses South Georgia in general and Sherwood Baptist Church in particular of racism. That we have been racist in the way that we have done things. Well, I had to ask myself a question when I read that letter. Is that true? Are we racist? The question is answered with no. Because if we were racist, we would only 
deal with our members and only deal with our members who are of a certain color. We didn't do that. We don't do that. We've never done that. This church has opened its door to people of all colors for years and continues to do so. It's one of the few churches in this town that sometimes has done that. And I'm glad that we take the point and that we are taking the lead in issues like that and we're not sitting around letting the world tell us how sorry we are, but the church is taking a stand to see everybody through the eyes of Jesus. That's the way you're supposed to see people anyway. You don't see people as black and white or, or red or yellow or any other color. You see people through the eyes of Jesus as souls that have an eternal destiny. 2,700 volunteers have come through this church. We've housed them at our upper campus of our school. We've housed them here. This past week, we had over 100 volunteers that slept in the upstairs of our FLC. We've cut down some of our programming in our Family Life Center because we're providing to try to meet the needs of volunteers who are coming from as far away as Canada and all across this country to try to help. We have fed 7,000 meals. 500 of our people have served in some capacity as a volunteer. We have tried in every way we could to help. We've tried to, to bridge up, and, and in fact, we're working with Samaritan's Purse and helping some of the black churches in our community, and they have already doubled the gift that they gave us initially because of what they saw us doing with churches in the black community and trying to help them, trying to help them rebuild when their churches were totally destroyed. I would submit to you that out of the 275 groups that have come, 274 of them have been very happy with what we've done. And that they have been treated well and graciously, and quite honestly, one out of 275 is not bad. Now, the truth of the matter is, we got copies of those letters, and efforts have been made by us to contact those people, but they have not returned our calls. You see, Satan always wants to get an issue out in the public that divides what God's doing. Now what you are is you are God's spokesman for what He is doing that diffuses what Satan is trying to do. Satan would love to take Albany, Georgia back to 1964. And I'm here to tell you, I'm not going to let him do it if nobody else lets him do it. I'm not going to do it. We've come too far. There's too much to do. This is a new day, and we need to get over whatever it is. That somebody, anybody wants to tell me to wear that coat, I'm not wearing it. I refuse to wear anything that's not me. And that is not this church, and that is not the spirit of this church, and that is not the attitude of this church. And I'm grateful that it's not, and I'm grateful that by the grace of God, it never will be, and the next crisis that comes will be there and will help, and we're not going to ask questions about who you are and where you come from. We will help. Why? Well, because Satan's always building those walls. And I, I wrote down a note in my Bible, just keep the main thing the main thing. You know, the devil would just love to get us out chasing this issue. There are people who have shown up in this town trying to get us to chase this issue. I'm here to tell you, folks, what needs to happen is the Christian community has got to rise up and tell these people to quit trying to come and meddle in the business that we're trying to build and quit trying to tear down what we're trying to build up. God's trying to do something here. God's trying to do something significant in our midst. And the devil's always going to raise somebody up. And they may even say they speak in the name of God. He'll always try to raise somebody up to say, yeah, but... 
Well, if we made a mistake, we'll admit our mistake. We'll be the first ones to say, hey, we blew it in that instance. But we did not blow anything because we were racist. We never have. We never will. That will never, they can accuse us of a lot of things, but that's one thing they better not ever accuse us of because that is not founded in truth. That's founded in somebody's speculation. Well, I chased that rabbit until he went home, so let's um, go to number two. The illogical campaign. Verse 3, And you shall march around the city, all the men of war, circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall be that when you make the long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up every man straight ahead. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. Then he said to the people, Go forward and march around the city and let the armed men go on before the ark of the Lord. Now, these orders do not make sense. From a military standpoint, and many of you have military backgrounds, and we have many Marines in our church, and, and these orders don't make sense. A Marine would tell you, this is not the way to win a battle. I mean, we love the Marine band, but the band is not going to... We've got to get the soldiers out there. We've got to get on the front line. We've got to fight. We, we need the armament. We need the swords. We need the guns. We need the, the battering rams. We need all the equipment that we can get out to show these Canaanites that we are serious about taking over Jericho. And God says, don't do any of that. See, that doesn't make sense. But the task before us is not the task of understanding it is the task of undertaking. It's not understanding what all God says to us. It's undertaking what He says for us to do. And this is not a test of walls. This is a test of will. Will the people of God obey God in what He says to do? This is just as foolish in the rational, reasoning mind of man as walking across a river at flood stage and believing it's going to dry up. But God is continually bringing His people to times of testing when they must decide, are we going to do what God says? Are we going to do what appears logical and reasonable within our minds? Are we going to act on our five senses? Or are we going to act on faith? It was not a test of Jericho. It was a test of their hearts. And they came before God and they issued and exercised faith in several forms. First of all, there is submissive faith. Submissive faith. The victory was a done deal, although there was no external evidence that they were going to have a victory. Now, if you want to have submissive faith, here's what you have to do. You simply have to do the last thing God told you to do. Whatever God told you to do, do it and keep doing it. Don't stop one step short of victory. I've met people and they're, they're like rounding a corner and they get right here and just around the corner there's victory and they stop and say, I just can't see any victory. I can't see how I'm going to win. I can't see how God's going to work this out. I just can't see it. And if they just take one more step and just look, God's got the victory right around the corner. But they don't see it. 
There's a submissive faith that we yield to what God has said and we yield to what He has directed us to do and we don't stop short. Secondly, there is seeing faith. Seeing faith. Now, they were told to walk around these walls for six days. They were to observe these walls. The immensity of these walls, the massive size of those stones and how high they were and how impossible it was for this ragtag army to conquer this wall. They were to listen to the mocks and the jeers from their enemy. I think what God was trying to do is, I want you to walk around it six days until you get so overwhelmed with how serious this problem is that you face that you realize that I'm the only one that's going to get you out of it. They needed to see that the walls were insurmountable and the task was impossible. It was an insurmountable, impossible task that was before them. I, Ian Thomas said... Oh God, I can't. You never said I could. You can. You always said you would. I can't, Lord. Look at these walls. Look at this obstacle. Look at these barriers that are before me. I can't do this. God never said you could. But He did say He can. And He did say He would. You and I are facing battles like they faced. This was not a military test. This was a spiritual test. Would they see with the eyes of faith? They were walking and waiting and walking and waiting and looking and listening and all of that was going on around them. But they had to wait until they could go around it enough that they could see with the eyes of faith. By the way, waiting time is never wasted time. You never waste time waiting on God. Phillips Brooks, uh, uh, there's a story of Phillips Brooks who says uh, he was pacing back and forth one day and he, he looked like a caged lion and somebody said to him, Phillips, what are you so upset about? He said, I'll tell you what I'm upset about. I'm in a hurry and God's not. You ever like that? You in a hurry and God's not? You see, there must be that seeing faith. We, we get so upset. We, we don't want to wait and see what God will do. I mean, we get upset when we miss an elevator. You know, if we miss one door in a revolving door, we're upset. If we don't speed up and go eight miles over the speed limit and pray that cop doesn't have his radar detector on and get through that yellow light, then we're going to have to sit there for one more minute. We hate that. We go to the fast food place and there's eight cars in the line and we say, this is ridiculous. People in Europe are waiting four hours for a gallon of milk. They drive two hours to get it. and We get eight cars in a line for a burger and order fries and a, and a real meal deal, and we just go ballistic. I can't believe. Why don't they hire people to work here? I just don't see how anybody... And see, God says, I want you to see the obstacles, and I want you to wait until you don't see it and figure it out in your mind, but you see it with my eyes. God is trying to move us from being unbelieving believers to being believing believers. There's a third thing. There's a silent faith, verse 10. This is why you know that the children of Israel were not Baptist. But Joshua commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout, nor let your voice be heard, nor let the word proceed out of your mouth until the day I tell you, Shout, then you shall shout. There was to be no second-guessing. There was to be no questioning. They were to be quiet. Uh, don't you know, I mean, we, we love, 
We love to talk about our problems. Can you imagine God saying, I don't want y'all to say another word for six days. Now, I know you, I know you don't do this with your kids. But have you ever said to your kids, because you just got tired of it, you said, I don't want another word in this house for 10 minutes. And boy, for them, 10 minutes might as well be eternity. <laughs> you think God ever just wants to sometimes just kind of lean over and say, look, I'm tired of you whining, I'm tired of you belly aching, I'm tired of you complaining, I'm tired of your criticism, I'm tired of you second-guessing what I'm doing. I want you folks to just zip it for six days. You know, if, if God could get some churches to quit talking for six days, they'd have a revival. You heard about the lady who came to the pastor and said, Pastor, I've been a gossip, I've run down everything, I've run down everybody, and I want to put my tongue on the altar. And the pastor said, the altar's not big enough for your tongue. There must be silent faith. We have to be silent and stand before God. You see, critics and complainers and those who question have no part in the economy of God. God requires of us obedience. And when he says be silent, we are to be silent. When he says shout, we are to shout. J. Oswald Sanders said, It requires little imagination to picture the confusion if everyone would have been able to air his views on the strategy being adopted for the overthrow of the fortress. Unbridled criticism and the airing of doubts would soon paralyze faith. They would have talked themselves out of faith on the first day, for unbelief is unbelievably contagious. Unbelief is unbelievably contagious. Now here's just my hunch. I, I, I think the Lord said, I want you folks to be quiet. Now there's going to be a lot of you, and you're going to be walking around there, but I don't want you to turn around this guy on the side of you and say, well, what do you think about this? What, you know, what do you think? You think Joshua's smart to do this? I mean, you think, you, you think God really said to him that we're supposed to do this? Or you think they just had a, had a bad dream, and, and he thought it was God speaking to him. What do you think about Well, I don't know. You know, I heard about a guy who trusted God one time, and he got in trouble. I heard about a guy to believe. You know, I, I, I read a story in, in, a, in a magazine one day about somebody who said God told them to do something just like that, and it, they were an absolute failure, and, and they went bankrupt, and this happened to them, and, that, and, and their lives fell apart, and everything. You know, you, you, just, you just see, doubt is contagious. Now, let me just tell you how contagious it is. This is a holiday weekend. We got some folks worshiping God on a lake today. They're worshiping the bass of their choice. I mean, they're out there. They're just pray it rains on them and not on us, would you? And, uh, you know, we got folks out. And so you know what I heard all down the hallways? Boy, we're down today. Boy, we're down today. Boy, we're down today. Boy, we are down today, aren't we? We're down today, aren't we? Aren't we down today? We're down today. We're down today. You know what happens? Everybody starts walking around like this. We sure are down today. Boy, I tell you, I wish I'd gone to the lake. We're so down today. Got more folks in church right here than any other church in town has this morning. I don't know why we're down. You think God went to the lake? No, that's not why they're not going to catch anything. You see, we get so caught up in the moment and we let that unbelief spread in us. That's why we have to spend some time sometimes being quiet. 
Because it's not talking ourselves up to believing. It's not letting somebody talking us out of believing. It's just being quiet and learning how to believe God. Unbelief is contagious. And you see, if you aren't going to walk in faith, then you don't have any right to criticize those who are trying to walk in faith. We are called to be silent in our faith. Now, I want you to notice something. There was no pep rally. There was no cheering. There was no getting worked up for the big event. This was silence. And they blew the ram's horns. Now, it's significant that Joshua would record that they were ram's horns. Ram's horns were not the horns used for battle. They were the horns used to call the people to worship, not to battle. God said, you're not going to war, you're going to worship, and you're going to take the ark of the Lord with you, and we're going to worship, and we're going to praise, and we're going to be still and know that he is God. And in the middle of it, when you start to learn how to worship me like you're supposed to, I'll fight your battle for you. You see, we're out there trying to war for God, and God says, if you just learn to worship me, I'll go to war for you. And they hadn't seen anybody until they've seen the captain of the Lord of hosts. I'll be the one that'll fight your battle. I'll be the one that'll stand. You see, they weren't trying to believe. They weren't pretending to believe. They were believing God. And they were walking in silence and entrusting God. Fourthly, there is a sustained faith. Now, this ties a little bit to the, one of the previous ones because the trip from Gilgal to Jericho and around the city would take about two hours. And so they would get up, they'd get dressed, they'd march for two hours and come back and sit around for the rest of the day. Most of the victories in life are at the end of a time of waiting. You know, the problem with life is, is it's, it's so mundane. I mean, we kind of get up and do the same things every day. You know, we, we eat the same things. We, you know, we, we go to the same places. We have the same kind of job. And, and basically, although faces and names may change, we, we kind of do the same thing. You know, if you just want to have a thrill one day, go a different way home. Some of you have been driving home the same way for so long, you don't know that they've made 12 other roads that get you there. I mean, you just got a groove worn out. You don't even have to drive your car anymore. You just crank it up, get in it, close your eyes, and it goes itself because it's been doing the same thing day in and day out. But you see, the waiting and the sustaining is for one reason. There comes a day when there's shouting and there comes a day when there's victory. But if you haven't waited and if your faith hasn't been sustained, then you're not ready when it's time to go. You're not ready when it's time to shout. You're not ready to stand up. Hebrews says, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. So, somebody said that the, the 90s generation of Christians are like Alka-Salts or Christians. A big fizz and then they're gone. You know, we, we get excited for the moment. You know, if there's a Bible conference or a revival or a concert or, or something else that's going on that's really exciting, we'll get up for that. God says, hey, I want you to be there through the day in, the day out, the routine, the rut. I, whether you're waiting on me, whether it's exciting and you're walking around and your things are happening or you're just sitting and waiting for me and seeing what I'm going to say to you, I want you to have sustaining faith that will see you through. Again, there's that idea. You get one step short and then you stop. Then there is shouting faith. Verse 15. Then it came about on the seventh day that they rose early at the dawning of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. Only on that day they marched around the city seven times. 
And it came about on the seventh time, then the priests blew the trumpets. Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Verse 20. So the people shouted, and the priests blew the trumpets. And it came about when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, that the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, and every man straight ahead, and they took the city. Did you notice it? They shouted before the walls fell. They didn't wait until the walls were down and say, Yes! God did it! Yes! They did it. God's going to knock the wall down. I don't see any rocks falling. That's okay. It's still going to happen. How often have we ever shouted that God would give the victory before we knew the victory was going to be there? You see, now there's a difference between presumption and faith. But folks, faith sometimes acts where there's no physical evidence that God's going to come through. And if you've never acted where there's no physical evidence that God would come through, but all you had was a promise of God, then you've never exercised faith. That's shouting faith. It was before there was any evidence that the wall would come down, before they heard a crumble, before anything happened, they appropriated faith. And every step around there was an appropriation of faith. And when they shouted, it was the ultimate appropriation that God would do exactly what He said He would do. And before you and I today, there is a visible Jericho that is backed by an invisible foe. And we have to come to the point of having shouting faith. Now, why can we shout? Well, it's found in verse 11. So he had the ark of the Lord taken around the city, circling it once. Why could they shout? Because the presence of God was with them. Because the ark of the Lord was going before them. You see, it is not so much where you are as who you see standing with you that will make you shout. It's not where you are who you are, how good your circumstances, it's who you see out there in the forefront of your life that gives you the focus so that you can shout. William Carey was the great missionary in his famous sermon at Nottingham. He said this, You will see greater things than these. Enlarge the place of your tents. Stretch forth the curtains of your habitations. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Dare a bolder program. Dwell in an ampler world. Launch out into the deep. You see, faith believes and accepts and acts before it ever realizes what it's believing. Now, I'll just give you a hint about some of what we're going to talk about tonight. I believe that God's got some supernatural things that He wants to do with us. And to be quite honest, I believe they're so big that between now and the year 2000, God will have to give us between 15 and 20 million dollars to do it. See, so there's no way. Well, your walls will never come down either. I'll tell you something, folks. I'd rather die climbing than die in the gutter talking about what God never did. I would rather try something and fail than to never have tried anything and to die mediocre. It won't cost us but about 15 or 20 million dollars. But hey, 
God can knock down walls. He can build walls. God wants to provide the resources He can, can He? Well, then maybe we ought to start standing in silence so that there comes a day when we can shout in victory. What do you believe in God for? What do you believe in God for that is so big and so awesome and so incredible that when He tells you to shout, you can shout and maybe everybody around you will say, you're crazy, God's not going to do that. Don't let the cynics and the skeptics and the doubters and the critics keep you from taking what God has for you. Now finally, there is saving faith, verse 17. And the city shall be under the ban, and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in the house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. Now they had a shout, and there was a sound of the trumpets, and the walls collapsed, and everything was destroyed but Rahab and her family. Now if you remember in chapter 2, her pardon, her redemption, and her deliverance was prearranged. The spies said, when you hang that scarlet cord out your window, then we will know that you are in that house, and all who are in that house will be spared. And because Rahab believed God and trusted God and recognized that the God of Israel was the one true God, her life and her family were spared, and she is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Now, in the same way, there has been pardon prearranged for you. 2,000 years ago on a cross outside of Jerusalem, Jesus Christ died, all God and all man, and shed His blood for the remission of sins. And the Scripture tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That's the scarlet thread. That's the blood that works its way all the way through the Scriptures. You and I find forgiveness of our sin by being cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, when He comes back, and by the way, He is coming back. When He comes back, two things are going to happen. There's going to be a shout and there's going to be the sound of a trumpet. Just like at Jericho, there was a shout and the sound of a trumpet. And at Jericho, it will be the same at the second coming of Jesus Christ. There will be a shout and the sound of a trumpet for those who are not under the blood, for those who are not within the provision of Jesus Christ, there will be destruction and collapse and eternal judgment. For those who are under the blood, there will be eternal deliverance and an eternal home in heaven. In your future, in my future, is a shout and the sound of a trumpet. What I do with Jesus Christ determines if it is for my destruction or for my deliverance. Three words that you need to act on today. And I want to ask you to stand if you would, and I'll give you those three words very quickly. If you're going to see the walls tumble down in your life, there are three words that you need to act on. The first one is the word faith. You need to believe what God says. Well, the Word of God is very clear. Stand on the promises of God. Secondly is the word obedience. You need to do what God says. And third is the word courage. You need to stand on what God says. Faith obedience, and courage. There is nothing wrong with you. There is no wall before you that ultimately will not come down if you exercise faith, 
if you obey God and if you have the courage to stand on the faith that you've exercised by obeying. Would you pray with me, please? This is your invitation to be part of the excitement of worship every week at this time at Sherwood Baptist Church, located at 2201 Whispering Pines Road in Albany.